I think you don't have to do that to practice the mindset work. Okay. You can practice the mindset work doing anything in your life. Like I tell myself, like, you know, things all the time, like my brain will be like, well, you don't really want to do that. Or you're too tired to do that or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, brain, let's get real for a second. I'm not that tired. I can go put some laundry in. Like, I'm not too tired to go put laundry in, you know, things like that. Just start like catching yourself and saying like, oh, look, look what that brain's doing again. Because your brain is wired to conserve energy. And like, it's going to feed you those kind of thoughts all the time so that you're conserving that energy. So when you need energy, like if you get to the point where you are in a life or death situation, you have that energy to use, you know, that's what your brain is doing. So learning how that works and just kind of practicing, um, and kind of calling your brain out on things like that, starting to do that work. I think it's really helpful. Hello, mom friends, and welcome to the Learning to Mom podcast. It's so great to have you here. I'm Layla, and I inform first-time moms on pregnancy and birth so that they can be empowered and educated without feeling overwhelmed. I was one of the first of my friends to experience pregnancy, so I kind of had to figure out a lot of it on my own. Now, if that's you, then don't worry. Allow me to be your mom friend and give you the resource in pregnancy that I wish I could have had. Here we believe children are blessings, not burdens. We're realistic and practical about motherhood, but we don't partner bash, grumble about being a mama, or judge other moms for just mommying differently than we do. We're all just learning what works best for us and for our families. So if that sounds good to you, then let's get into it. Before we dive into this very jam-packed episode all about preparing for birth as a first-time mom, I just wanted to say thank you if you have ever left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this on, because it just really truly means so much, and it also helps get more eyes and ears on this podcast, thus helping other first-time moms which is the whole goal of this podcast. So thank you so much. Um, As a thank you, I am shouting out a review each week. So this week I wanted to thank mberry125 for leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. She says, I started this podcast when I was 10 weeks pregnant with my first baby. I am so thankful for some of these episodes. She really dives into the exact questions floating around in my mind. I look forward to listening as this podcast grows. First of all, mberry125, Thank you so very much for just taking the time out of your day to write this. It means literally so much. You have no idea. And secondly, great point in looking forward to listening as this podcast grows. That just means so much to me that you're like tuned in each week. I know that you're listening this week um, and hearing me talk about your review. And this podcast can truly only grow like through ratings and reviews. So thank you so much for doing that. And also for sharing the podcast. So if you are listening, don't forget to just share like word of mouth makes such a difference. Um, but I am sharing a review each week for the next couple months or so. So make sure you leave a rating and review on whatever podcast, your podcast platform that you're listening to this on so that you can get a shout out. All right. Now let's just dive into this week's episode because you're gonna really like it. Hi, Taylor. Thanks so much for being here today. Welcome to the Learning to Mom podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Oh, of course. Um, I know that you have, or we have a ton of things that we want to share. I know I have a gazillion questions for you today, so I kind of want to just jump right into it. Um, But before we do that, do you mind giving us a background um, to kind of who you are and what you do? That way the listeners can get to know you right off the bat. Yeah, definitely. I am Taylor. I'm a birth prep coach and I have gotten to this journey over uh, the last few years. I became a mom about six years ago and had to learn everything the hard way was the first of like my friend group to kind of have things. I know we have a very similar story um, to have babies and all that stuff. And it was difficult. It was a lifelong dream of mine, but it was very difficult and it was very hard um, a lot harder and a lot different than I envisioned it being. Of course, it was wonderful and magical and all the things, but learning all the things the hard way was tough. So I wanted to create a space online for moms to learn all of those things. And in that process, I started learning more about birth and created an entirely different experience than I had always had in the past after learning all the things, learning how traumatic my experiences really were and all of that stuff. So it was eye-opening to be in that space 
and now I help people with birth. So a little bit about so, how I got. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, do people who may not be aware of like all that you provide when you say that you help with birth, what exactly do you do? I know well, that you're a birth coach, but what is does- like, like, yeah, preparing moms for their birth experience. So there's awesome. a huge lack of education and preparation work that goes into the birth space. Um, the industry just isn't set up for it. And it's not really anybody's job to inform us on these things. It's our responsibility. So kind of just equipping them with the tools that they need to navigate birth for what it is in today's world. So first question then, and that's a great leeway there. And Taylor, why is preparing for birth important? It basically ups your odds of success. So I always Mm -hmm. like to compare birth to preparing for a marathon. Yeah. So we're never guaranteed to win the race. We're never, you know, anything like that. But if you show up on race day, having not prepared your odds of success are, are pretty slim for winning that race that day. You could absolutely, you could, anything could happen, but your odds of success are so slim. So the more we prepare ourselves, our mind, our body, and our team to support us that day, the better chance we have of success, whatever success looks like for us, it's different for everybody, you know? So and that's one of my questions um, for you today is, I guess, you and you just touched on this, that success is a little bit different for everybody. What would be some, I guess, examples of success? Um, so for me personally, success for me is achieving my birth plan, how I've laid okay. out. So awesome. with my last birth experience, and I'm planning to be having another baby here in just a few weeks, um, hoping for better this time, um, but we'll see. So Ooh. last time I detailed, like I put down everything, even like we didn't even know the gender. And I was like, I wanted to be this gender. And like, and I know you can't do you <laughs> on can't your birth plan, that put that on your birth plan, Taylor. Yeah. Like that was, well, I like, I like was dreaming of my experience. Like, like it wasn't like a typed out thing. I didn't like type all this out. Okay. I've never I've... typed a birth plan. It is not required oh, of you. Oh, oh, okay. I'm just saying like, we'll get like into envisioning that. my birth. Right. Dreaming of that experience. I knew exactly how I wanted it to go. And I had okay. a vision for it. And I had needed to put in the work into creating that vision as much as I possibly could. Of course, anything could go wrong that day. Anything can happen. Um, but preparing myself for that specific experience, I think was a huge play in me achieving that exact experience. Now you have shared with me, um, how you didn't have like a great birth, um, in the past. And then you really kind of took it into your own hands. Um, I guess I know. So when you shared that with me, I thought that was really inspiring and it made it was it was so could you I guess share that with our listeners like a little bit of your story there yeah my first birth was um really traumatic and I kind of assumed that it would be that way because of the way we were taught about birth the way it is Mm. in our society the way everybody had talked about it the horror stories that I'd heard and you know you hear those magical stories of the beautiful home births and the beautiful unmedicated situations and all that stuff. And you hear those stories. They're very few and far between. And I was like, well, those were God, you know, God's favorite people. They were just born that way. Birth is just how, that's just how they have babies. That's how their bodies work. And most of us, it's going to suck. It's going to be traumatic and painful and scary and terrible, awful. And it's just part of bringing a baby into the world. And that was my exact experience. And that day, like it solidified my belief, like, yes, birth will always be this way for you. And there's nothing you can do about it. And that's just how it's going to be. And I carried that right into my second birth and created a very similar experience because that was my mindset and my core belief of birth at that point. Right. Um, So after my third, I finally started realizing that my personal providers that I had chosen for my children um, did not have my best interest at heart. And I decided while I was, my third baby was crowning, they made me turn all the way over and get on my back to birth my baby out. And I knew in that moment that they did not have my best interest at heart, Mm. that my, my, me like declining and telling them over and over again that I didn't want to and all that stuff. Like none of that mattered that in that moment, all that mattered was what the provider wanted. So I was like, I will never, ever do this again. And I didn't know what that looked like at that point in time. But I was like, this will never be my experience again. It doesn't have to be this way. I know it doesn't have to. So that was kind of like my turning point is that moment right there. 
so everything was, was fine whatever but you know it was a very bad experience very uh, traumatic it's fine yes I have a lot of little traumas throughout and so many people do right it's so expected in the birthplace now it was literally my belief of birth before I even got to the point of becoming a mom so it's very expected to have a traumatic experience which I don't think should be the case at all I'm hoping yeah. we're slowly flipping the script on that um so yeah that's a little bit of like how I got to the point of like changing things and taking my experience into my own hands so after that day I've never I told myself I would never give my power away to anybody in my birth space because that space is mine I love that. Now, are you still having hospital births? Um, I guess where I'm getting at is that in this, you know, I'm speaking with um, a birth center. I'm speaking with moms who have natural births or home births. So my question is, is this possible in a hospital? It's definitely possible in a hospital. Um, I think it's not really about the birthplace per se, as much as it is about the provider. I think that's the most important decision that you're going to make is your chosen provider. Um, There are people who have very traumatic home birth experiences. There are people who have traumatic and terrible birth center experiences. And there's no, you know, it's not all OBGYNs are bad and not all midwives are great, right? There's not one size fits all, unfortunately. Um, I wish there was. (laughs) It would be the easy choice, right? Um, But really choosing a provider who aligns best um, whose standard of care aligns best with the experience that you're trying to create is like the best bet. And I know that's not everybody's reality with finances and insurance and things like that, but that's like the best thing to do in my personal opinion. <laughs> so when you are figuring out, I guess, what you are wanting in a birth, how do you go about that? Like, let's say I just found out I was pregnant and you're pretty overwhelmed with all of the information out there, everybody is saying, create a birth plan, figure out who your provider is. Like what are maybe the first, you know, five steps or what are just some of the first things that you can do to start figuring that out? I always send my ladies on an information journey and tell them that they need to collect as much information as possible. And the main thing that I think that they should inform themselves on is how the female body actually works to birth babies. It's not something we're really taught. It's Mm -hmm. not, I've encountered a lot of providers who don't really truly understand and who have had children themselves and don't really understand how our bodies and our baby's bodies work together to bring forth life. And that's something that I think once you understand and have a like core knowledge of that, then you can kind of understand how you can best facilitate and support your body that day while it's doing what it needs to do. Okay. I see. Um, And what happens when you're at these visits and you discover that your provider, because I'm I'm hearing you speak a lot about how, the importance of your provider. So what happens when you discover that the provider who you thought was would be well aligned is not well aligned to what you are wanting? Well, it just depends on their willingness to meet you where you want to be met. I think choosing a provider that kind of values individualized care versus like the very cookie cutter system that we found ourselves in um, can be really helpful. That way they are individualizing their care for you, depending on your wants and needs and goals and things like that. Um, Because the reality is in the United States where we are, is the fact that we're the paying customer in this situation. Like we're paying them for a service. So we are expecting a certain service and we are allowed to expect a certain service. And if at any point we aren't, you know, liking our service that we're receiving, we can fire them. We can switch another provider in the practice. We can fire anybody that's in our birth space that day in the hospital. A lot of those people you're not meeting until that day, unfortunately. Yeah. And, you know, things like that. So it's kind of important to like have that mentality. Like I'm the paying customer. This is my experience. This is my birth. No one's delivering my baby. I'm doing that. They're here to help me. You know, just seeing them as a support person and treating them as such is like, instead of like an authority figure, you know, it's very much a different vibe. That is a really great mentality to have thinking, you know, like, yeah, we do pay to have these. We are the customer, but even putting it on and being like, I'm the CEO of my birth and you all are my employees. So if you're not well aligned to my mission statement, if you will, my birth plan, like yeah. I can get, I can fire you. I think that's a great mentality to have. And so many first-time moms don't even know that that's an option. 
Oh, for sure. When I was a first time mom, I was like, oh, everything they say is true. They have my best interest at heart. We're like, I'm paying these people. It's like, it's fine. Everything's good. But that wasn't the reality for me personally. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which I had to learn the hard way. But it was just very eye opening to like shift that mentality to this isn't an authority figure who's controlling my birth. This is somebody here to support me. This is somebody that I've chosen to support me in my birth space and doing what I'm doing here today. Nobody's doing this for me. Mm-hmm. Kind of just like shift into that. Like, no, that's that's really great. Um, one of one of the questions that I did have for you, Taylor, is what or where do women go wrong in preparing for birth? I think we focus on the wrong things. Mm. I think that everything is very focused around like learning what our body is doing and how big our baby is. And like all the pregnancy apps are very geared towards, and it's fun and exciting information to have and it's good information, but it's not like the priority information. It's like those, like our body's doing all of that on its own. (laughs) Like we don't really actually need that information. Like babies growing fingers and toes and like that information is fun but it's not necessary for the experience that you're doing. You know, you'd be better off understanding how to support your body during this time and how to start supporting your mind and how to start building a really high quality team. That's going to support you that day. Um, even afterwards, after the fact, supporting you postpartum in that season of life, creating those things and getting that knowledge is a lot more impactful than the fun, you know, cutesy stuff, which is nice to know, but it's definitely what we're more geared towards and what is marketed to us um, with the apps and things like that. And even like the birth preparation classes in the hospital are very lacking. They teach very basic stuff. And again, teaching you things that your body is going to do on its own. Um, It's nice to know how those things function and it's important information to have, but it's just one piece of the puzzle, you know? Right. Okay. Um, So you would say not focusing enough on how to actually get yourself through birth and what all happens postpartum. Yeah, exactly. So it's like more so like we focus on information that's not really needed and preparing things that don't like we put so much effort into the, and it's so fun to do. And I get it. Like, I'm not saying don't do these things, but also focus on the important stuff, (laughs) like the, like setting up the nursery and get everything ready for baby. And like babies don't really need much at all and like so we focus on very heavily like as a society as a whole focus on like the things that are fun and exciting which i get but we choose to ignore the important things the the things that can really severely impact us like i know some people that have carried birth trauma and they've stopped they've never wanted any more kids yeah. or they you know things like that like or they've had such a traumatic birth experience and then it completely impacted their postpartum experience and they barely remember those first few months with their baby. And that stuff is life impacting, you know, it's very important to focus on, to try to avoid that as much as we can in order to have a different experience for ourselves. So what do we need to focus on to make sure that we don't have a traumatic birth experience? The best thing to do is to inform yourself first on all the different things, your provider standard of care, how your body works to birth babies, your rights as a patient, mm-hmm. um, how things typically go, all the things, all the decisions that need to be made. So many decisions were made for me as a first-time mom. I didn't know that there were decisions to be made. They were never presented as decisions. It's very common. Um, yep. So, you know, understanding all those decisions, understanding each and every option available for each of those decisions weighing the risks versus the benefits of everything, like really, truly understanding that's not only going to prepare you for that day. It's also going to prepare you if that day goes nothing according to plan. Mm. You're going to just be so much like, it's going to be so much easier to navigate things because you're not like, oh, well, this was my decision and now I can't have this. And now these are my options. And I never looked into these. I don't even know what these are. I didn't even think this was going to be my reality today. But if you did that work beforehand, you're going to be so much more calmer navigating that situation, making an informed decision for yourself and for your baby. You have another person you're making decisions for. So it's very important to have all that and staying in control that day and keeping the control in your hands, which is pretty much, we do that through having information um, is like the most impactful thing. I think is keeping the power in your hands that day really shifts the entire situation. 
I'm telling you, I will not shut up about this Bisbee baby kettle. It is a game changer. So the Bisbee baby kettle warms breast milk and formula two times faster than any other bottle warmer in the world. It allows your husband, your babysitter, your sister, yourself to feed your baby on the go. No more being trapped at home because you have to warm up the formula or breast milk. Take it on your walks, take it to church, brunch dates with your girlfriends, on vacation. You won't want to leave home without it. I also love that it's not this like ginormous thing. It literally fits super comfortably into our diaper bag and it comes in aesthetically pleasing neutral colors it honestly just looks like a really cute thermos but it is amazing whether your baby is formula fed or drinks breast milk you will want the bisbee baby kettle go to bisbeebaby.com to check them out and because you're a listener of the learning to mom podcast use mom 10 for 10 percent off make sure you add it to your baby registry and even add a little note to that discount so that your friends and family can give this to you and get that discount the link is in the episode show notes for your convenience what are some tips that you might have um i i so resonated with what you just said about how decisions might not be presented to you as decisions that was yes. very much my experience of like, mm-hmm. now we're going to do this. And they tell you as they're doing it. Pretty much. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or and so, fact, unfortunately, so what, how do you make sure that I guess the power, if you will, stays in your hands? What are some tips? You know, <clears throat> what can we make sure that we're yes. doing? Well, the informing yourself is the the first step of that, obviously. Um, we've already talked plenty about that. Understanding the industry for what it is, I think is very important. Understanding the language that people are using, like most healthcare providers are taught to, you know, have that sort of language because it's easier and faster and people can refuse consent at any point, but you know, not everybody knows that. As a first time young mom, I never knew that I could just say, actually, no, I don't want another cervical check again that's not really going to do anything for me at this point in time. Like, why are we doing that? Like, I never asked why I never like questioned anybody. And I was just not equipped with the tools that I need to navigate that. So some things that you can do if you're being presented in like a situation where you feel like maybe you're being a little bit manipulated, maybe you feel like you're not getting enough information. The most important thing to do is to ask questions and be like ready to ask like so having that information informing yourself it kind of prepares you to ask the questions that you need to ask even just asking why that little tiny question can do so much sometimes there's not a good reason why and that's unfortunate but that's very you know or sometimes the reason is well it's easier for us or this makes us more money or whatever and like when you're asking why and that's the core reason behind it like there's not really a good enough reason why. And then you can just decline at that point. Yeah. You can fire them in that moment. You can ask for a patient advocate at the hospital. Um, you know, you can do a variety of different things in that moment. Um, but really preparing yourself for that day is going to give you all the knowledge that you need to kind of navigate things for what it is. Because if you're informed on what's going on, not that you have to be informed on every single thing that can happen in pregnancy or your birth experience. But like, if you're informed enough to have a conversation with your provider about things to kind of understand better, that like is really helpful in my personal experience and opinion. (laughs) No, this is, this is so great. Um, now hearing, you know, if you're informed and all this education and such, and that might just be really overwhelming to a first time mom who, Mm -hmm. um, you know, doesn't even know where to begin. So what perhaps are like, even just five, five or 10 things I'm thinking like in my brain, I'm thinking like risk and benefit of epidural of induction of like, what are some things that women listening to this can then be like, Oh, I need to go research that. Yes. Um, well, I definitely recommend looking into the different pain management options that are available. Even if you are planning on going unmedicated, I know that's a lot of, especially for first time moms, like we want to go unmedicated. Um, that was my plan. I ended up getting, um, like the IV pain medications that day. Um, but my plan was nothing. And so I made the poorly informed choice in the moment without knowing any risks, really not really knowing any of the benefits either and saying, well, it's not an epidural. I wanted to avoid the epidural. 
And that sounds like a good enough option. They're telling me it's good. And then I just made a decision on something that went in my body without really having all the knowledge, um, which isn't something I'm super cool with nowadays. (laughs) So, and I don't think anybody should be right. Especially when it's going to impact your baby. Um, That same medication actually did impact my third baby. And we had over a month long struggle with that same situation because I had never looked into it. I'd just been like, well, I used it last time. I can use it again this time. And then that was another thing that day that I decided I was like, well, I'm never going to do this again. Um, back on track, some things that they can do now. <laughs> um, so definitely looking into different pain management options, especially if um, you're planning on using pain medication options and kind of just like having a discussion with them about like natural pain medication options too, not medication natural pain remedies, things like that. Other things that you can try your birthplace might have some things available to use that day, like different yoga balls, squat bars. Some people have like the things you can pull down on kind of just like, I guess the main thing to do is start having conversations. If you're just starting out with this, start having conversations with your provider, with other people who have done this before you, with people in your community who have used the same provider Maybe some friend used the same person and you're like, Hey, how was your experience with them? Blah, 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 whatever. Um, looking into all of those different things, I think is helpful. Start having conversations surrounding things, start kind of building this vision for your birth experience. And then kind of just going from there, then you can kind of educate yourself and start preparing yourself for your specific situation. That way you're not having to inform yourself on all of the things like once you start kind of figuring out like what you're aiming for, then you can put in that specific preparation because the preparation for an unmedicated home birth looks a lot different than the preparation for a planned cesarean. One's yeah. not better than the other. The preparation is just very different. They're two totally different birth experiences. And if you're planning for that, you know, you want to plan accordingly. So I guess just starting there, starting to have conversations, starting to figure out what you want and then just start kind of filling in the puzzle pieces as you go throughout your pregnancy. That's good. Preparation for that. And something too that I would add is learning what the standard of care at that practice is, you know, like some do delayed cord clamping and some don't. So Mm -hmm. if you are, are wanting delayed cord clamping, um, then perhaps that's not even something that you need to put on your birth plan. If the practice, that's just like the standard of care. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if you like a lot of people can only choose certain places and providers, depending on their insurance, their finances and things like that, you can go against the standard of care. You can ask for things that are different. That is just the way that they normally do things. Every single provider out there, every single one, midwife, um, OBGYN doesn't matter. They, they all have a birth plan for you already. Mm. So you can choose to follow that birth plan and choose to do things the way that they like to do them, the way they typically do things, or you can tweak that plan. And obviously the goal is to get somebody who's pretty similar to what you're trying to create, but that's not the reality for everybody, but it's not, that thing is not set in stone. You don't have to roll up and do their birth plan as they've laid out for you. Every provider has that. Like, I got to find a provider who doesn't do that. No, every provider has a way they like to do things. My provider does. And there are things that I don't do the way she does them. And she's fine with that because she practices individualized care. So just understanding that standard of care, just like, it's very important, extremely important, but it also doesn't apply to you per se. That's really good. It doesn't have to anyways. Yeah. No, that's really good. And something to ask, like in your first appointments, I remember being just like, I didn't even know what to ask in these appointments. You know, they would say, mm-hmm. any questions for me? And I'd be like, uh, no, I don't like, no. I would, I literally asked what are some questions that other moms are asking you? Literally, I did not know what to ask. And so I think asking that, yeah. like, if I deliver this baby 40 weeks with you, give me the rundown of how you do things. Yes. Yeah. One of the, I think that that should be done before you even hire a provider. Yeah. I think you should be asking for a consult with Mm. my first provider. I did not even see my provider until I was already in the practice for over a month. I saw a nurse first and it took an additional four weeks to get the next appointment. So like, I didn't even meet a provider until I was like almost 12 weeks pregnant. And at that point, especially as a first time mom, you feel like you can't go restart the process somewhere. 
you spend 12 weeks finding a new provider and they're telling you, you have to go see somebody now. Yeah. You know? So at that point you're like, okay, well, I'm stuck with this person. It's a very like disempowering situation to find yourself in. So I strongly suggest when you're looking for a provider to have a consult, even if it's quickly over the phone, just chatting with them about a couple of things so that you better understand their standard of care before. I didn't even know that was an option. I didn't either until I entered midwifery care. That's awesome. So I can just call the hospital and be like, hey, I'm, you know, so I call the hospital and I say, hey, I'm interested in having Sarah Smith deliver my baby. Can I have a consult with her? Yeah. Wow. And if they're going to refuse a consult, I probably wouldn't suggest working with them. Yeah. (laughs) And like if they can't even make a few minutes for you on the phone at some point, like you can schedule that time or whatever. Um, they're probably not worth working with. You will probably be very much treated like a number. So if you can Dang, avoid working really with that person, um, that's kind of like a very quick tell to like, you know, if they're yes. going to be a good fit for you or not very quickly, you know. <laughs> Talking about individualized care, you know, if they're not doing that, then no way are they going to be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If they don't even care, care to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. Okay, okay, okay. I am so excited to introduce you to Celesti Co. In short, this is an adorable Catholic children's clothing boutique that offers simple, modest, ethical, and safe apparel that showcases our faith. Their bread and butter is definitely their ultra-comfortable bamboo pajamas, but they also carry other children's clothing like daytime clothes and adorable items for mom and the nursery. Seriously, there's so many reasons why I love this shop and their bamboo pajamas, but a feature that they have that so many first-time moms don't know is super important is that they have this fold-over foot cuffs on all sizes to instantly convert from footless romper to covered little toes and double zippers on their pajamas that makes those nighttime diaper changes so freaking easy, so much faster. You need these. I I promise you, I will not lead you astray here. Go check them out at celestico.com. That's C-A-E-L-E-S-T-I-C-O.com. The link is in the episode show notes for your convenience. You can thank me later. So Taylor, I'm curious, what would you tell someone or how do you prepare your body for birth? You actually don't have to prepare your body for birth because your body knows what to do. So that's not, it's not really what I mean when we're talking about preparing your body. It's more so preparing yourself to support what your body is doing. So so there are ways we can support our body that day, but our, our body is showing up, understanding the assignment. Like she knows what she's doing. She created that whole human being. We like, I don't know the system that I'm like, it's, Oh, you need all this help. And your body's broken and pregnancy is something wrong with you. And it's very much treated as like this like problem to be fixed. And it's not, it's this natural thing that we can support and we can help foster like a good experience, but our bodies know what to do already. Like no one is going to tell you, okay. Like telling people when it's time to push, like is kind of silly because our bodies tell us when it's time to push, you know? So not that that's not important in certain situations, but for the most part, it's very much, the vibe of like, you need help. Let's help you versus I've got this. How can we make this better? So things like learning how to implement different labor positions, understanding how your pelvis moves to best support, like as far as like being in a position for that specific stage of labor, understanding how baby comes down and out of the birth canal, um, things like that. Um, Focusing on supporting your body, keeping your body comfortable, helping your body relax, especially during those points where the contractions aren't hitting at that second, you know, just really trying to focus on giving your body that break, um, understanding when and how to fuel your body during that experience. If you want or need food, your body's doing a lot of work. We're a denied food in a lot of birth situations. I don't really love that, but you have to weigh the risks versus the benefits and make a decision that you feel really good about. I personally, I'm going to eat during labor if I need to, because my body needs it. So um, things like that, understanding how to best support our body is how you would prepare your body technically, I guess. Okay. Now, what about how to prepare your mind? I know a lot of that, you know, besides like the education piece, 
you know, is there yes. any self-talk? What's yes. the mind we'll chat component? About it. I think the most important thing for your mind, this is like my favorite part. This is the part that I love working with my clients on because it's the stuff that's like mind blowing, right? You're like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Um, I never like would think mindset would play such a huge role in the birthplace. And it really, truly does. Mm. Um, But the most important thing is understanding what your brain's job is that day. Your brain has a job every single day of your life and it's to keep you safe and alive. Entering birth, which always comes with risks and always comes with what ifs, is scary, especially if you've never done it before. Your brain is like, "Mm, how about we don't do this? Everything about this sounds awful. You want to push what out of where? You want to do what for that many hours? Are you kidding me? You want to do that? That's what we're doing today? Your brain is like, absolutely not. So for a lot of us, and for my, this was my experience with my kids, I get to the point where my brain starts feeding me these thoughts, these thoughts of like, you can't do this. Something terrible is going to happen. You can't get through this today. Like all those thoughts of like, like basically telling me like, I'm not going to be able to actually go through with this. And it's just trying to get you to stop. (laughs) Your brain doesn't understand that it's not really something you can stop. Mm. Um, So, you know, I always say like our brains are smart, but our brains aren't that smart. So our brain, our brain's job is to keep us safe that day. And it's going to try to do everything it can to keep us safe, including telling us that we can't do this. And when you go into that mode of thinking, it can highly affect what your body is trying to do and even your baby. And it kind of puts you in that fight or flight mode and your body is supposed to be opening and relaxing. It's what it needs to do to let this baby out. And now it's tense and tight because of your mindset, just a simple thing of like switching those thoughts and practicing. Um, I, we do birth affirmations. Those are just practiced positive thoughts to feed your brain when your brain gets to that point. And it probably will. Mine did even with my last birth experience and I was fully and totally prepared for it, but I still had to do the work that day, even though I knew Mm -hmm. what my brain was going to do. It still did it. (laughs) Yeah. It still showed up and did the thing. So then at that point I could use all my little mindset tools, like, all the birth stories that I had to give back, um, feeling my brain with evidence that what I was trying to do is possible. Um, the birth affirmations, those practice positive thoughts, having my birth partner who was reminding me of those thoughts when my brain was like, mm, are it really, was your body made for this? You know? And you're like, yes, yes, it was. <laughs> but like your brain is having a hard time getting on board. And like my husband was ready to help me with that, you know, help keep me on track and be like, Hey, remember, remember what you're doing here. So having those things ready to go, because my brain still did what I knew it was going to do. I think that's really important. Just understanding how your brain works that day. Okay. You can, is it, (laughs) is it beneficial to beneficial to perhaps like hold a ice, you know, piece of ice and tell yourself, you know, you can do it kind of overcoming or training your brain. I have seen that a lot. Yeah. It's more so like, yes, the mental, that's a mental exercise that people do. Um, do you think I that's beneficial? done it myself. Okay. I think, I think you don't have to do that to practice the mindset work. Okay. You can practice the mindset work doing anything in your life. Like I tell myself like, you know, things all the time, like my brain will be like, well, you don't really want to do that. Or you're too tired to do that or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, brain, let's get real for a second. I'm not that tired. I can go put some laundry in. Like, I'm not too tired to go put laundry in, you know, things like that. Just start like catching yourself and saying like, oh, look, look what that brain's doing again. Because your brain is wired to conserve energy and like, it's going to feed you those kind of thoughts all the time so that you're conserving that energy. So when you need energy, like if you get to the point where you are in a life or death situation, you have that energy to use, you know, that's what your brain is doing. So learning how that works and just kind of practicing, um, and kind of calling your brain out on things like that, starting to do that work. I think it's really helpful. Yes. That like does work. The ice trick does work like for that purpose and like building that mentality up, but I don't think it's required of you to build that like skill. Dang. That's so good. And I never thought about that. Like that's what I'm going to have to use to finally get myself to wash this dirty cup that I've been letting sit in my girl. Thank you. It's a, it's a journey. (laughs) Mindset work is never done. Now, what about, um, how do you prepare your team for birth? 
Oh, I love this one. Cause this one is something I think gets skipped a lot. Okay. I think people like to pick their birth partners and it's fun and exciting and all that stuff. And then they pick their providers and, you know, it's a fun thing to do, but they don't ever really sit down and have the conversations that need to be have surrounding like what they're looking for. So your okay. team's purpose that day, the whole reason your team is there is to support you in achieving the goals that you've set for yourself, your birth plan, essentially. Mm-hmm. So you have these goals, you have this ideal experience. How do they play a part in helping you achieve that vision, basically? So that's like the question I have my clients ask themselves Okay. first. So then one, are the people that you chose up for the challenge? Do you need to fire your provider? Do you need to choose somebody that you wouldn't typically, maybe it's not your husband. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's a doula that you hired. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's somebody who's better equipped or more willing to support you than the way that you want to be supported. So that's kind of like, not everybody likes when I say that, but it's very important to have the right people in there. Nobody deserves that space. Nobody deserves a space in your birth space. It's deserved, you know, it is earned. So Mm. basically if that person is not up or willing to complete what's needed of them that day, maybe they, they aren't there that day. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that's just some little tea for today. Cause there are some people that aren't uh, doing what they should be doing in the delivery room. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's an important question to ask yourself. Make sure everybody is equipped and willing to support you in the way that you want to be supported. More so goes for your provider, obviously, um, okay. because they don't they don't love you like your partner does. <laughs> yeah, um, so just, you know, focusing on that, and then you want to start setting expectations. So basically, you just want to have conversations and say, "Hey, this is what I'm aiming for. This is the plan. This is what I would like to accomplish that day. This is what I would love to see unfold." Yeah, how can you, this is what I'm imagining you doing that day for me. If it's your first baby, you might not know, mm-hmm. right? You might have to play things a little bit by ear that day and that's fine, but you should have a general idea of how you want to be supported by that person. On my team, I have my mom and my husband and they have always been on my team and they have two vastly different roles, right? So my mom is there to get us basically whatever we need. That woman has fanned me with the hospital welcome packet for hours because I needed air she's gotten us drinks and food and you know anything we need she's got it for us she helps like talk to my husband to talk to me that was more so when he didn't know what he was doing um so thank god for that because she wasn't supposed to be there that first birth and i'm glad she was and she takes all of my photos and videos so that's i am loving this this is so good i didn't i didn't think of this yes yeah it's very important so then my husband has a totally different job that day uh-huh. he's my hands-on person he helps me with all of the labor positions he talks with me he is my voice when i don't want to talk to staff or even talk to my mom because like it's not the time you know yeah and he's like my communicator for me that day he's hands-on support he does counter pressure things like that um, last time he made little signs with index cards and toothpicks and put little affirmations on them for me and like was cheering me on and he's like just a vastly different role than my mom plays that day but both very important to the space that I'm trying to create you know so I think kind of playing and then my provider plays a whole different role that day yeah she's bringing all the supplies that we need she has all the equipment she knows how to do the measurements and the monitoring and all this stuff that needs to be done and so everybody has a specific role that day everybody's on the team but everybody's a different player So understanding how you guys are going to work together, come together to create that experience that you're looking for, that's how you just start preparing them for that situation. So setting expectations, having those conversations, very important. That is good. Setting those expectations, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I know we talked about birth plans. So kind of revisiting that conversation, what are some of the common things or decisions that women may unintentionally leave out of their birth plan because they may not even be aware that it's a I have a literal I have a list of things that I didn't know were decisions Uh that had to be made so those decisions were always made for me in my first few births um cervical checks you don't have to consent to those if you don't want to they were never presented to me as an option and if you want to get them that's totally fine um, just understanding why they do them and how they function and the 
the area, you know, there's like risks and that come with that. And there's margin of error and all that stuff. If you understand all of that and you still want to opt for that, that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't know that that was an option. (laughs) So cervical checks, um, the way you're monitored um, in most hospitals, we have continual monitoring. And then if that doesn't work out on the outside of your belly, you have like, you know, you have all these things, you have the, the pulse monitor, you've got a contraction monitor, the heartbeat monitor, um, let pressure cuff. They, they didn't even let me take it off. I ripped it yeah. off at one point and I got yelled at during my first, I hated it. I hated having that on my arm. That was one of the most exciting things about my home birth was not having anything on my body, just like chilling. And I was so excited because that blood pressure cuff and me, we had some words. We were not friends. I don't know why <laughs> it bothered me so much, but like the sensoriness of that, like in the, like it was so bad. Um, so you can uh, like, and then it only went off every 30 minutes, but it had to sit on there because they didn't want to come in every 30 minutes and do it. So I could have been like, Hey, actually come back in here in 30 minutes and do your job. Thank you. That could have been the vibe, you know, of course it would have been a lot nicer than that. I'm not saying like do that, but, um, it's the type of monitoring that we have. They also did like an internal monitor. They didn't really inform me on what that was. They kind of sugarcoated it. To be honest with you, I was really lied to, um, that's something that'll be, you know, Im- at least asked to be implemented if they can't get an outside reading to get that continual monitoring. Um, so, but there are other options if that's not something you want to opt for. A lot of people love the peace of mind of continual monitoring and that's a total valid reason to choose it, you know, but just knowing that there are other options if you were like me and those things stressed you out and made the experience worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are other options for that. Um, breaking your waters that's never required. They were like at every point in the hospital, they were like, okay, it's time to break your waters. They didn't ask me. They were just telling me, okay, it's time. Yeah. I didn't know what that did. I didn't know that it set a clock on when I needed to be out of that hospital in their minds and all that stuff. Like basically then the timer was on. And if I didn't have my baby by a certain point, they would have wheeled me back to the OR. I would have became a mom in the operating room, you know? Mm-hmm. So that didn't have to happen, but it did. I've always made for me. Um, what else? There's a lot of, they're not eating during labor. That was never presented as an option. You need to just understand why they do that. There's a reason why they, that became standard of care and it's very outdated. And yeah. again, not everybody wants to assume the risk that comes with eating during labor and that's fine, but understanding the risk and what that actual number is and how it would impact you versus how not fueling your body is going to impact you. It's just important to understand that before making the decision for yourself. These decisions are just being made for you. Um, so yeah, that's a few things that that's... I think important to think about and to yeah. really understand why they, why do they do the things they do them? Like ask why, ask why? Cause most of the things, oh, pushing on your back. We're going to talk about that one. You don't have to push on your back. That is not required of you to birth a baby. No matter what anybody tells you, it's not required. I hate that. And that's a good question to ask your provider in those appointments. What are some of the other positions? What are some, you know, positions that you feel comfortable with? Like, or even what positions have you done? Like, have you birthed before? Unfortunately, a lot of the providers that are practicing, especially in OBGYN care, they've never actually witnessed a physiological birth before. They've only witnessed one with all the interventions Mm. and all the things and they truly have never witnessed what our bodies can do by themselves. They're taught a certain way and that's how they push us through the system. And that's how it is. And that's the way they think is best for everybody. And there's no one size fits all interventions are amazing. And I'm so glad that we have them and they absolutely serve a place. They absolutely serve a place in the birth space, but they are not required for you to give birth. And they're very much like, oh, you have to do these things in order to birth a baby. That day when I had my first baby, the IV in my arm, the fluids going into my body, the cervical checks, the Pitocin drip, all of those things that they implemented really without my expressed consent, all of those things were kind of portrayed as required of me to bring a baby into this world. And I truthfully didn't know any better. It was my job to know better. It's my responsibility but I, tr- I truly didn't know. I relate to that. Yeah. How things were portrayed. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to have to do all this stuff the next time too. 
And I did just blindly let them do whatever it was they wanted to do. And those things just aren't required. They serve a purpose. And if implemented correctly, I think they're amazing, but they aren't required. Yeah. Dang, that's so good. Well, Taylor, this was a really beneficial episode. I learned a ton, um, truly, and I'm excited to implement this for baby number two. I am not pregnant, everyone, just in the future. (laughs) I am excited. (laughs) Um, Now, before you do go, I want to make sure um, that people know how they can find you, how they can get in touch with you. Um, How can people reach you after this episode? Okay. Well, I'll give you my link to share in the show notes with all my links on it, but I'm on social at the birth prep coach. So you can find me like on Instagram and TikTok. I have a podcast too. If you want to, mm-hmm. I love, we didn't even talk about the podcast, podcast, but yeah, you have a great podcast, the birth prep podcast. So we talk a lot about this stuff. Like I could go all day on this stuff guys. Um, <laughs> but we'll keep it short. <laughs> um, yeah. So podcast, if you want to hang out over there, I also have some free resources that'll be at that link that I give you. So awesome. if they want to give you free stuff to help on their birth preparation journey, that'd be cool too. That is so great. Now, a question that I didn't really get to, um, because it seems like an obvious answer, but I want to make sure that women know when should women start preparing for birth? ASAP. Great. Immediately. <laughs> yes. So if you're listening to this, and it's resonating with you. It doesn't matter that you are 32 weeks pregnant. It doesn't matter that you're 18 weeks pregnant. Um, start on it now. Start on it if you're trying to get pregnant. Um, yes. It's important. Yeah. I call it a journey for a reason. And it's mm-hmm. quite the journey. And you, it can look however you want. And you can start at yeah. the end. Any preparation is better than none. Definitely start whenever you can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for your time today. Um, Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. I loved it. Of course. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Learning to Mom podcast. Make sure that you leave a rating and review to be featured on a future episode. And just, it lets me know that I'm doing a good job and that I should keep at it. It's also really, really great to hear from you and it absolutely makes my day. So don't forget to leave a rating and review and I will catch you here next week.